to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The power of the Holy Spirit is mine as I yield myself to Christ. It's not enough to desire victory over sin. I want to be freed from this. I don't want to do this. The desire is there, but it takes more than just desire. It takes more than just resolve. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis chapter 4 in a message titled, The Spread of Sin and Death. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Now, how are we to understand that? You know, when you just read the account, you're tempted to think that it's just Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel, and now Abel's been slain, and so they're back to just one child. But that's not the case. We're told in chapter 5, verse 4, that Adam had sons and daughters. You see, the Bible is not a history of the world, if you will. The Bible is a history of redemption. So the Bible doesn't give us information about all of the people that ever lived on the earth. The Bible has not even hinted to us at this point that there are other children that have been born to Adam and Eve, but there certainly have been because as we go on, verse 17 says, and Cain knew his wife, implying that at the time Cain was already married. So there is a population that has developed, and this population, these are the descendants, the other descendants that are not mentioned. They're the other descendants of Adam and Eve. The reason why Cain and Abel are mentioned specifically, well, Cain, of course, because he was the firstborn, but then secondly, because of his evil deed. But Abel is mentioned because Abel seemed to be the one through whom the promise of God was going to be fulfilled. And so as we go through Genesis, we will find this pattern where different families will be highlighted and followed for a brief period, and then they will be left behind, and everything is, is ultimately narrowing down to the family through whom the promises are going to be fulfilled. So it's important for us in this age of skepticism to to understand these kinds of things. You, you, of course, many of you, you remember hearing about the famous Scopes trial back in 1925, I think it was. And William Jennings Bryan, who was the representative of the, I guess you might call it the creationist position at the time, he was made to look like a fool by Clarence Darrow when he could not answer the question, where did Cain get his wife? Where did Cain get his wife? I mean, that seems like a, a relatively simple question, but he didn't have an answer for it. 
And even down to this very day, skeptics, critics, those who are looking for fault in the Christian faith, they will ask that same question. Where did Cain get his wife? Well, the answer is Cain married one of his sisters, or perhaps he married a niece. Because again, if you read closely, you see that Adam and Eve did have other children and that there was a a population on the earth at this time that was uh, sufficient for Cain to be fearful that someone might take retribution against him for his act against Abel. And so Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord. He knew his wife, she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born a rod, and a rod begot Mahujael, and Mahujael begot Methushael, Methushael begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Naama. So in, in verses 16 through 22, we have the beginning of human civilization. And contrary to modern anthropology, human civilization began very early. Man did not really live in what they would think of in terms of a a primitive state for very long. It's very early on that, notice, a city was built. There was city life. There was rural life. Arts were developed. There were tradesmen, commerce began to take place. So, you know, again, the evolutionary idea that for eons of time, man lived in a a primitive, animal-like state does not reconcile with with the biblical picture. And as we pointed out many times before, the, the evolutionary view of life in the world and everything else in the biblical view are completely contrary, almost a complete opposite of one another. So here's the first taste of a self-sufficient society. Remember, Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord. So this is a secular society, essentially. This is a society that is intentionally choosing to experience life apart from the influence of God. And, of course, that has been the case for most uh, societies, and it is the case uh, tonight with our society. Lamech is interesting because he, he sort of epitomizes 
the Canaanite lineage, and he also sort of epitomizes just man in his natural state. He rejects the ordinance of God. Notice Lamech, he takes two wives. So you see in this Canaanite line, these descendants of Cain, there is that same rebellion to God's way. God says it's to be done this way. Cain rejects it, and now we, we see that same thing in his descendants. And so this man, Lamech, he decides that rather than have one wife, as God had prescribed, he will take two wives. And then Lamech said to his wives, verse 23, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. In this poem or this little song, you see in Lamech this arrogance and you see this spirit of revenge. You know, Lamech was kind of like the first rapper. He boasts in his song about killing somebody for, for basically nothing. So we're seeing that emergence within the human family of the sin nature. Now, Cain's family is a microcosm. Its pattern of technical prowess and moral failure is that of the human race. And like all godless men and societies, it ultimately will disappear from history. And so this really sort of brings us to the end of the story of Cain and his descendants. But the work of God and the people of God go on And so we read in verse 25, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. So a a slight deviation in the record to to briefly talk about the firstborn person, Cain, to follow his lineage very briefly, but then that disappears, and now the godly line emerges through Seth. And it was then that men began to call on the name of the Lord. So as Abel was a righteous man, Cain was a wicked man. Seth is evidently a righteous man as well. And I think there's a definite connection between his birth and his life and men calling upon the name of the Lord. So there's there's a fresh new work of God. There's a fresh new move of God marching toward the fulfillment of 
the promises that God made. And Seth is now the one through whom that is going to come. Now, in backing up just for a moment as we close, I want to go back to God's instruction to Cain for the application. As he says to him, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. The picture is that of a lion crouching, ready to pounce on its prey. And and Cain was in that place where, you know, he, he could go either way basically at this point and tragically he chooses the wrong thing. He goes the wrong way. But perhaps there's someone here tonight who's in that place as well. Perhaps you're here and you're, you're in that place where you're sort of at a crossroad and sin is there. Sin is crouching. Sin is ready to to pounce upon you and to consume your life, but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. You see, with Cain, it, it was that way because he rejected the counsel of God. And that's true today as well. A person who is overcome by sin, a person whose life is consumed by sin, is a person who has rejected the counsel of God. Again, I want to go back to that idea. You know, sometimes we, you know, we look at a person whose life is consumed with sin and, and sometimes we even listen to their story and, you know, they, they speak as though they had no they had no decision in the matter. They speak as though this was something that was completely beyond their control. And again, in our, in our culture, we have a, a mentality that, that feeds that. A few months ago, I was sitting in on a session, a rehab session where, you know, they're counseling people through their drug addictions and so forth. And you know, they're, they're talking about the disease. And they're talking to these people and referring to the fact that, well, you know, you have a disease. And as I was sitting in the session, the, the lady who was conducting the session, she just said to everybody in the room, she said, now, does everybody understand that this is, this is a disease? Does anyone have a, a problem with that terminology? And I said, well, yes. Uh, <laughs> Don't want to spoil the party, but I do have a problem with that terminology. This is not a disease. This is sin. But you see, as long as we persist in calling it the wrong thing, as long as we refuse to face it for what it really is, as long as we persist in not taking responsibility for this being sin and just outright rebellion against God, we can never progress beyond it. We've got to call it what it is. We've got to understand what it is. And only then can we properly deal with it and be freed from it. You see, sin 
can only have dominion over us if we allow that. But if I am submitted to Christ, then of course, one of the primary things that that Jesus came to do, he came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to set me free from the power of sin. He came to break those chains and that bondage. And if a person is professing to be a Christian, if a person is believing that they have received Christ, but yet they're still all bound up in sin, it's either one of two things. Either they haven't really met the Lord in the, in the sense that they need to, or perhaps they have received the Lord, but they haven't understood that the way to victory is through total surrender of yourself to Christ. Sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You see, God tells us that we should rule over it. We can rule over it, but we can only rule over it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is mine as I yield myself to Christ. You know, it's not enough to desire victory over sin. I mean, many, many people desire. I, I talk to many people who will tell me, and I believe sincerely, I, I want to be freed from this. I don't want to do this. The desire is there. But it takes more than just desire. It takes more than just resolve. We, we've all experienced those times when, you know, we have resolved to not do a particular thing. And yet we find that with all of the resolve that we can muster up, we still don't seem to have the ability. And those very things that we said we would not do, we promised that we wouldn't do, we made a resolution, we took a vow, we swore that we wouldn't do it, we find ourselves doing those things again. You see, the fact of the matter is sin is more powerful than we are. And the only power that can break the power of sin is the power of Christ. And so I have got to call upon Jesus. I have got to yield myself to him. And it says I yield myself to him that he supplies me then with that power and then I am able to do what God said to Cain that he would have been able to do. I'm able to rule over sin rather than sin ruling over me. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in my life. There is not a single sin that can resist the power of Christ. But that's the only power that sin can't resist, the power of Christ. And so tonight, if you're at that place, if you're at a crossroads, or maybe you're beyond the crossroad, maybe you're, you're at the point where, where sin has taken over your life, where you are being consumed by some sinful practice, and maybe 
you've desired to be out of it and you've resolved never to do it, but you know, you find yourself in that place where it, it just seems that you don't have any power. The Lord is able. And what he wants from you is simply to acknowledge that the problem is sin, the problem is rebellion, and that he and he alone is the solution, and that you will look to him exclusively for deliverance. He he will bring it. That's what he promises to do. That's what he came to do. Remember what Jesus said. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If we abide in his word, if we allow his word to reside in our lives, if we are submitted to the authority of his word, then what we have as a promise is we have liberty. We have freedom. He's going to set us free from the power of sin, from the effects of sin, from the bondage of sin. Sin is lying at the door and its desire is to rule over you, but you should, you can rule over it because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is the spirit of God working in you than all the power of sin, than all the power of Satan. But it's that, it's that point of, of laying hold of that and, and taking that on board for yourself personally and saying, yes, Lord, I want that. I want that freedom. When I was in uh, South Africa, I met a number of young men Uh, who were recovering drug addicts. And one particular young guy, one evening he sat down and just, you know, asked if he could talk to me. And I sat for about an hour with him. And, you know, it was so beautiful to be able to sit there and to have him share with me his frustrations, his difficulties, his struggles, his bondages, and sharing them with me with the, with the intention of, you know, really crying out for help and seeking counsel and to be able to respond to each one of his problems and concerns and whatever else it was, to be able to respond to each one of those things with the word of God. And after an hour and a half or so, you know, to have him stand up and, you know, have the biggest smile on his face and to just reach over and give me a hug and say, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You encouraged me. And, and to see him just over these couple of days, to see his countenance lift and to see him being strengthened through the word of God. God has victory for us. And that victory comes as we depend on the Lord relying upon him. We can't do it in our own strength. We, God never intended that we do it in our own strength. We yield to him. We just throw up our hands. Lord, I, you've got to help me. You've got to deliver me. And, and as we yield to him, he supplies us 
with that power. For the month of September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. Have you ever wondered why God created things? Why did God create rainbows? Why did God create rain? Why did God create different animals or vegetation? Why did God create anything at all? Well, in his book, Andrew Wilson explains that God had a very specific purpose for creation, and God uses it even to this day to display His wisdom and to teach us that wisdom as well. Gleaning the insights that can be found in ordinary things, Andrew Wilson takes from both the Old and New Testaments to show how the ordinary things of God can reveal the extraordinary God of all things. The book, God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.